Strong Enough merch is now available. Go to strongenoughpod.com and check out all the stuff that you can get so that you'll have those daily reminders that you are strong enough and you are worth it. Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, where we talk about the challenges and celebrate the triumphs of people just like you. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to share how he went from the Australian outback to the movie screens of LA. And he is going to share with you why it's time to ditch the excuses and follow your dreams. Please help me welcome James Pratt. James, how are you doing today? Doing great. Great to uh, to be here. Thanks, Claudia. I am super glad to have you here. And I know we just discussed this before we started recording. I'm slightly disappointed that you don't have more of an Australian accent because my audience knows that I truly love that. But I'm going to let you off the hook for that one. Yeah, you know, I've got like a really funny story I didn't share with you before, but uh, I feel your pain because uh, a couple of years ago when I was living in, in uh, LA, I'd been there for so long, my accent had kind of slid. And I was up like uh, kind of like a block away from Hollywood Boulevard. And there was these Australian girls and they were like looking for directions. And they asked me for directions like, oh, like, where, where do we go to get here? And I gave them directions like, oh, and like, by the way, where in like Australia you're from? And they were like, oh, Sydney. I'm like, oh, I'm from Bondi Beach. And they're like, no, he's not. He's just trying to pick you up. He's definitely American because my accent go like at that particular point. And I was like, no, no, I'm really Australian. And they're like, no, nah, he's just being sleazy. So, <laughs> so, you know, you know, it, I it's, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, I am only familiar with Bondi beach uh, because of a tattoo show uh, that used to be on that was filmed there. Bondi tattoo. Is that what it was called? I think so. I'd have to go back and check. Uh, but I think so. And it's about a shop that's right there, like off the beach and supposedly yeah. very popular. Yeah, I had a friend actually edited the show. Uh, I never watched it, but I remember the editor was telling me what the the kind of like the, the stuff left on the cutting room floor was like. So uh, I can only imagine. Well, yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about the cutting room floor today, I feel like. And to do that, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um I guess growing up, uh, I grew up in Australia, uh, very traditional sports, surfing. Uh, after high school, I went to uh, an acting school called NIDA. Uh, and at the same time, my parents were like, you have to study something. You can't just do acting. Uh, so I studied real estate at the same time. Uh, and then I had a big transition in my life. Finished acting school. Uh, kind of my parents weren't thrilled with what I was doing. Um, half of them moved to America. I got stuck out in the middle of the country. Like I'm talking like the outback Australia. Um, made a $200 short film just right as I left the country. Um, and I, I, when I say $200, it was like $100 of that was for food. Um, and I had to do everything. Like I had to edit it, write it, uh, direct it. And actually ended up uh, getting to the, the finalists for NBC Shorts Fest. Uh, which was like a massive deal at that point, um, NBC Universal over in America. And they were just blown away by the um, the art direction of it. Like it looked like I had this massive budget because I was in the middle of the outback, uh, you know, with like the most incredible farming, wheat fields, cotton fields. Um, and pretty much from then on, sort of like, you know, got out of the country, moved back to um, to, to Sydney, 
you know, onto Hollywood not long after, became like an auctioneer as well. Like that, that idea that my parents had, you know, fall back on something, um, was lucky enough to be three-time Australian champion, um, did the world's first cryptocurrency in that little adventure. Uh, and then, you know, since then, you know, been making movies, um, been really fortunate to win uh, some, some great awards and just really enjoying the, uh, the self-improvement ride from, I think that, that kind of point just after high school to kind of here has been pretty rapid and, and a lot of fun and a lot of turmoil as well. You know, you, you gave us so much that we could talk about right now. And I would love to start with being an auctioneer and what that's like and, and how you got into that. Well, that was again, like the irony of this situation where I went to this very small population, like in the middle of nowhere, um, when I was in the outback, uh, I needed money and I had this idea that I would do what my parents had. I had this real estate thing that I'd studied, like this diploma. And I had this idea that I would just, um, I'd go to work for like three weeks and then I'd quit. And then I'd have enough money from the three weeks. Like it was almost like that paid better than if I had a job for six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, first day there, there was an auctioneer competition. I didn't want to do it, but it was my first day. I said, yes, ended up winning that. And then I won this other one ended up, you know, this big final for Australia. And I, I won that. It was called the, uh, like the, the NAC auctioning competition, all to do with real estate. And uh, the irony of that as well was that people said I was so good because I wasn't trying very hard. And I think it's because I didn't really want to do it. It mm -hmm. just came out so natural rather than this forced kind of like um, this thing. And that kind of, that was how I sort of got into it. Um, and to kind of go back to your question, you know, what's it like, um, you know, on the big stage, you know, uh, you auction, you know, 30, 50, 60 million dollar houses, um, there's like pressure, you're the hero if, if it sells, and if it doesn't sell often you're kind of thrown on the bus meaning you're kind of the reason why it doesn't sell so you know it's it's kind of peaks and troughs. Now, when I think of an auctioneer. I think of the fast talking uh, kind of individuals that you see at estate sales here. So is it that kind of vibe or is it a little bit different because you're dealing with, you know, millions and millions of dollars of property? It's, it's kind of a little bit of a slingshot away from that. Like, and I know the one you're talking like, it's mm. like uh, the TV show. I think it's auction hunters. Yes. Um, yes. Where they, they auction off uh, like goods and chattels. <laughs> Uh, it's a little bit more towards, say, the Sotheby's art auction, because mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a, you know, $25 million house. You have to be a little bit more articulate um, and want to make sure people hear about the certain features, you know, like custom pool and things like that. So a little bit more articulated, um, perhaps you could say a little bit more upper class, if that mm -hmm. doesn't sound too snobby, just because, you know, it's often people's biggest asset. I mean, you said it. So even if it sounds snobby, it's out there now. It's totally fine. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. It came from a good place. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I want to talk a little bit about the time that you spent in the Outback because, you know, when I think of Australia, I think um, on one hand of like just this beautiful area of beaches and just, just gorgeous scenery. And then I think about like, 
kangaroos beating you up and flying snakes and huge spiders. And I feel like maybe that's more of the land that you were in during this time after school. So when your parents kind of made you go there, how did that feel? And were you a little bit miffed at them initially? Yeah, it, it, it was one of those things where um, there really wasn't an out for me. Uh, you know, like sometimes when you go on a vacation or you're like, oh, I'll take a year off and I'll do this. It was it more felt like, you know, you'd been helicoptered into the middle of, you know, the jungle. You'd been dropped off and there's no lifelines. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you when you want to go back, meaning you can't just go back because uh, the situation for me was um, a lot of my family just moved to the States while I was in high school. And so it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, you have a home base uh, in, in any particular way. And at the same time, it was that point when my parents were like, look, you know, you've had it too easy growing up, you know, we're not going to bail you out. We're not going to, you know, if you want to get out, you need to, you know, utilize your, your, you know, real estate diploma or whatever it is. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, just over 21 years old. So I'm still sort of like just out of college. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a real sink or swim moment. And just to kind of paint the picture, what the landscape was, uh, it was very much like uh, Kansas, you know, Nebraska, you know, those thousands and thousands of acres of wheat fields and corn fields. So it, it was very isolating as well. Um, and I think the big thing is, is yeah, it was sink or swim. I have driven through Kansas twice and it is pretty much the worst thing ever. <laughs> It's just, it's flat and straight and there's no, no curves, no hills, no scenery. Right. What do you think that taught you about yourself? Well, I think the, I mean, looking back, I was very angry with myself for a little while because I was like, um, this is not going to go away easily. Like, this is not something where it's like, oh, well, you know, you just make two weeks. Cause obviously it was that point where my parents were like, um, it's about life experiences. It's about the fact that, you know, even if you, you know, want to make choices, it's all on you now, what you want to do with your future. You know, we're in America now. So, um, so it's very much that idea where I think I was a little, you know, again, looking back, you know, there's the emotion of being disappointed, um, then accepting it and then taking action. And then, um, you know, before you know it, you know, that season of your life was probably the best thing and also the worst thing as well. I know one of the things that you said about that, that I really appreciated was that you kind of experienced a lot of uh, tragedies while you were there in the form of like natural disasters and, and things like that. But you were able to see the beauty um, beyond the tragedy and the turmoil that was going on. What in your life made you that type of person to be able to look past the negative and see something beautiful behind it? You know, it's a great question because I think I, I'd sort of compare it a little bit like, um, you know, when I was at acting school, they talk about uh, you, you get a character and you strip that character completely down and it's almost like yourself. And then you, you build that character up again, you know, to what, what they're like. And I think when you're out there in the middle of nowhere, um, you don't know anyone, and you're there for, you know, like a long period of time, you do get stripped down mm -hmm. and you see, obviously, um, I think you start looking at things very differently. Um, you know, when you live in a city, you know, New York, Los Angeles, wherever it is, there's entertainment, like every second, you know, it's like anything you need, you know, 24, 
it's it's there mm-hmm. uh when you're in the outback and like you said you're driving through and there's not much there you really get stripped down you start appreciating the little things you know like company you know when you've got someone to talk to or you know beautiful sunsets and you don't appreciate that when you're in the city you know life's too fast and i think it was that that mindset where you strip right down and you start thinking very different and subconsciously things also start to change uh i noticed with myself it was like pushing and pushing and pushing for something and then like I said, you know, I never would have thought a $200 short film would be, you know, giving me a call from one of the, the execs at, at NBC over in, in Hollywood. It was like um, just a very much a, a growth time, I think you'd describe it. Uh, and part of that growth is, is obviously perspective. Do you feel now, since you spend, I think, a majority of your time in L.A. where life is much faster, unless you're on the freeway uh, and stuck in traffic, but have you lost any of that ability to see past and appreciate the beauty of things? I don't think so. I hope not. And I I hope that doesn't change as well, because I do think... um, that was one of the things if you you talk about like what did you get from that experience it's something you take with you which is appreciate the small things Mm -hmm. uh and also have that appreciation where it's the little things that sometimes matter the most meaning you know friendships um you know how you treat someone else being thankful that is more important than you know what sort of instagram you've got or what sort of car you drive um which is again very hard to kind of like you know consider when you're in Los Angeles or any major city I think too Mm -hmm. no I agree with you I would love to talk about that short film a little bit because I thought it was so cool that when NBC called you and they said hey do you have a feature film length script for this and you were like sure do Uh, and then you started writing it and you spent like 10 days and you got it done so many people in that moment would have been defeated, you know, and would have said, well, no, I don't, I guess I'm out. I'm not good enough. And and would have just let that opportunity pass by. Where did you learn that ability kind of to fake it till you make it and, and take that step to make your dreams come true? You know, this is going to sound kind of corny, but I think, um, when when you're in a position where you are really stripped down to say the bare minimum one of the things gets stripped away is obviously uh you know people's negativity so as an example you're in la you say hey i want to make a feature film everyone's like yeah yeah i want to make a feature film too but we need 10 million dollars and some people don't think a film could be made for 10 million you know they'll be like i don't want to be a part of it if it if it's not 10 million or it can only be made if you have this it's that critical thinking where I think, you know, you're in the, you know, uh, I guess you could say a, a condensed environment out uh, out there. You can sort of think a little bit more like A to B. Um, and I think that was probably something when, you know, they called up and they said, hey, have you got a, a script version of this as a feature film? Um, I probably was in that mindset where I was like, yeah, I mean, look, no one's saying no to me at the moment so let me let me go through with it yeah whereas i think sometimes it's your sphere of influence kind of gives you trepidation and then you you know overthink things and yeah but just on that no that that uh that script was terrible that script that i gave <laughs> was terrible and 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 i think they kind of knew that it was really rushed because i just remember the follow-up meeting when i when like they were talking about the script they're like yeah yeah i mean it, it could be a tv show too um <laughs> 
you know, like, because uh, they, they'd acquired a company in Australia called Matchbox Pictures, and they're like, yeah, yeah, maybe we just shoot a pilot. Yeah, I think maybe we shoot a pilot. <laughs> it's kind of like, I think they were trying to say, like, we love the idea, <laughs> but I, I think this script needs to be flushed out way better. It um, sounds very Seinfeld. Very <clears throat> Seinfeld. It, it was it was a fun time looking back. It was a fun time. I'm not sure what they they kind of thought of me, this kid from the outback, because I didn't tell them my credential. Like you know, I've, I've been to NIDA and things. They just mm-hmm. probably thought I was a kid from the country. So, yeah. What is it like for you? In looking now at Malibu Crush, which you have recently written, starred in, directed, pretty much you probably built the sets, I don't know, um, (laughs) everything else involved with it. What is it like being there from $100 to rent a camera and $100 to feed yourself on a feature film or on a short film? You know what, because that uh, Malibu Crush is really close to my, my heart. It was like a passion project. And just, just for the record, um, you know, I'm not this, you know, I want to, I want to do every role, every film I'm in. <laughs> it was, it was literally because COVID hit and, you know, I really wanted this other person to direct and we had other people, but with COVID, you know, people either don't want to work on a film set because they were worried about getting, you know, sick or, you know, people had lost their job and they're like, listen, if I take a job, it has to be at a production house or, and it was one of those things where I hit a point where it's like, if you want to make the film, you're going to have to wear multiple hats. Um, my preference is to not wear multiple hats. Um, but I think, you know, there had been a gap between New York Mall Agent, which was the the $200 short film. And I kind of felt like, you know, look, I got that over the line with $200. I'm just going to wear multiple hats again. Um, and the, the, the sort of feeling about Malibu Crush, uh, it's, it's one of those things where time goes really fast. Um, don't appreciate it. And then when you get to the end, you kind of, you, I guess you've got your head down so much, you, you don't sort of pay attention. You're just focusing on finishing, getting the dailies in. And um, it's probably more fun if you have one hat and you can just enjoy the ride. What is your favorite hat to wear? I would say acting has always been a real passion, um, but I, I just love directing. I love directing. Um, you know, if I could do more directing, that would be fantastic. I do have another film coming up at the end of the year. I'm directing feature film, um, which I can't talk too much about because I'll get in trouble. But uh, I'm excited about that. And it is a goofy comedy as well. So well, and just one hat, just oh, one just hat. One hat. Yeah. Well, we don't just want you hat. to get in trouble. So we won't we won't ask too many questions, I guess. But how is it to direct yourself? in a film it's terrible it's terrible (laughs) I don't I don't like watching myself and the worst part of this whole thing was we finished filming we get through it and then I've got to spend like you know three to four months with the editors sitting there watching my face Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like I can't escape that and then we got to do the sound mix and I had a great time with the the sound mix team and the editors but it's like it's kind of sick and tired of seeing my face (laughs) at that point so I yeah it's not the best do you get angry at yourself when you give yourself notes I think I just more I think I just more wish I didn't have to feel like I was talking in third person you know kind of um that I think the worst part when you're in when you're a director and you're editing with like other editors Mm -hmm. is 
you you kind of watch it over and over again. And sometimes the the editor makes their own kind of cut of the scene first and says, "Hey, this is this is my takes." But it's the worst when you kind of you see the editor, and because the editor thinks you're the director, the editor's like, "Oh yeah, like I'll make you look really good in this scene," but you don't you don't like the scene. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not about me. It's obviously the best thing for the film every time is, is the other one. Um, so I think it's just that balance a little bit, but yeah, uh, if you can direct and, and, uh, and act in a thing, I think that's a, that's a task in itself. Yeah. I mean, I have trouble just doing one thing at a time. So I think I would struggle trying to do seven as you have done. Um, but from what I have seen thus far, you did a fabulous job at all seven things. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. What was your favorite part of making the movie? Malibu Crush was great. It's a comedy. So it was just a, a wild ride the whole way. Um, probably the most unexpected part. And, and this is not like comedy in itself. This is actually a serious sort of point. Uh, the, the funnest part for me was probably in post-production working uh, Brianna, who's the editor, she was incredible uh, as an editor. And after we'd done the edit, I uh, I spent about four weeks in the sound mix at this uh, at this company called the Sound Brewery, uh, with a very very well known sound mixer called John Resk, uh, lovely old man, old, older. <laughs> he's not old. He's just you know he's been around for a long time. And you know what? I wasn't expecting this, but. You know, he's very busy, he's won a ton of awards and him and his team did a great job with the sound mix. But he literally said, look, uh, I want you to come in every day, sit next to me and I'll show you exactly what I'm doing. Um, and I remember a couple of times, you know, him and his team were working, you know, they're supposed to finish at six. It was like 1030 at night, you know, and like phones are ringing and, and John's like, I'm just texting my wife to tell her I'm I'm just going to be another half an hour. And, <laughs> and then it's like, she knows when I text her half an hour, that's really an hour and a half. And, you know, here's this guy that didn't need to go the extra mile, always did. But the thing that I liked the most was, you know, he wanted to make sure that the next film I do, I'm going to sit with the sound person because a lot of directors just leave it up to, you know, the sound mix will do it. He's like, I want to teach you so then you can do it yourself. Um, and I just thought, you know, that was a, a great thing. He, he, you know, worked on some terrific films, but it was that thing where he's at his age where he's, he's investing in other people that he didn't need to. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed that. Very unexpected, yeah. And I'm sorry, John, that I got you in trouble with your wife multiple, multiple <laughs> times, you and your team working really late, so. I bet it was worth it though, for him. I bet it was worth it. Yeah, no, he, uh, he, he really, I think he said, um, uh, he loved 80s comedies so you know he was happy to to kind of like watch this for four weeks so you mentioned awards and how he has won several but you've kind of got some awards stacking up yourself here um, <clears throat> not just for being a phenom auctioneer um, but also in the directing and acting space what is it like for you to win an award in doing something that your parents were initially like, yeah, no, I don't, I want you to go to school and get an actual degree in something that matters. You know, it's, um, it's, it's nice to win an award anytime. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is, uh, 
you just yeah i mean you you it's very special um the last award i won was the beyond hollywood international film festival which was in beverly hills just a little while ago at the uh the finance theater and when you talk about what does it feel like well i had a little bit of pressure riding on that one because i i brought six people with me to the awards ceremony and where the pressure is riding is i have this friend of mine uh james uh, another australian guy and he's yes. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, uh, my friend, my friend Yanni, who lives in Hawaii. Um, you know, he's he's making a TV show. Um, I want to connect you guys. And I just briefly said to Yanni on this group text on WhatsApp, like, oh, you know, I've got like, you know, a, a film festival awards coming up, thinking it'd be more like, oh, congrats, you know, like, mm -hmm. let me know how you go. I get this voicemail saying, hey, James, it's Yanni. Um, just letting you know, I'm going to fly in for your awards. I kind of think like. Okay, so he he flew in from Hawaii. Uh, I had I had my manager there. I had a, a girl called Melody, another girl, uh, and I had one of Michael Douglas's. I had Michael Douglas's niece there, a great friend of mine. Sorry to name drop, but I had so basically I had a little bit of pressure that I had to win. But what does it feel like? Well, there's a little bit of pressure when someone's come from Hawaii and someone's come from Australia, and I was kind of thinking if I don't win, this is a bit of a letdown. So, um, yeah, sometimes there's a bit of pressure there. So thank goodness yeah. that, that you won. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you. something that people often say is it's an honor just being nominated. Now, I am very competitive. So, like, if you're not first, you're last. Is it an honor just being nominated or do you really want to win every single time? I think you got to win. Yeah, I think you got to have that, like, lion mentality, um, you know basically to to keep going forward in life you mentioned that your parents moved here uh, or to the U.S. when you were stuck in the outback so are you close to them now uh, geographically or personally how how is that relationship well I I think that was also the um because I actually lost my my mother when I was in the outback and didn't get a chance to kind of like that was the other thing about when I was saying you're sort of stripped bare. It was that thing where it was like, uh, you're in the middle of nowhere and your kind of world's getting smaller and smaller, probably to, to put. So that was like another tragedy at that particular point. Um, so to kind of answer your question, uh, yeah, I would probably say I've got more family in America now than Australia. Um, which was not the case when I was growing up, though. So it does feel like there's been a change regardless, um, you know, what's going on around me. What do you notice uh, a difference in, like, culture? Do you notice a big difference between where you are now and where you were at home, or is it kind of a seamless integration for you, or has it been? I think when you talk about culture, I think the best way to sum up Australians is... <clears throat> Like, as an Australian coming to America, uh, I hadn't heard the Australian accent for a while. And I just remember getting on this plane. I think I was going from LA to New York. And I just remember the plane took off and I just suddenly heard this, Oi, Corey, where are me thongs? And I was like, I was like, oh, that's what I sound like. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't heard, like, you know, in America, you don't see Australians. And then I hear this, uh, Dad, it wasn't, uh, Dad, you didn't pack them. And it was like, like the culture in Australia, when you kind of get away from it, so you realize 
-hmm. it's laid back um you know it's a little bit more speak your mind uh i think that on a on a serious note i think you know australia is um the gap between rich and poor is not as extreme as america so middle class is very achievable and i guess being critical you know, Australia doesn't have the ambition level of, say, you know, America or, you know, New York, uh, Los Angeles, especially, because mm -hmm. it's such an easier thing to achieve. You know, you can live close to the beach. It's very supportive if you, you know, if you're down on your luck, Australia is very supportive. Um, and I think that's knowing yourself. I'm very ambitious. So I, I love the idea of coming to America. People, um, you know, they'll work three or four jobs mm -hmm. to get to their passion or they'll buy a business before they buy a house. Um, and I think that's that's great. And um, Australia probably also has the tall poppy syndrome, which is, you know, if you do well, it's not encouraged as much. Whereas I find like in LA, you know, you get a movie role, you know, people, oh, it's great. What's the movie role? Introduce my brother's cousin. Or um, there's a little bit more of that. Whereas in Australia, it's a little bit more, um, you don't need to be, you know, successful to be liked or um, considered. So I think knowing those two business models um, and your personality type really works well. Like some people just love the idea of, you know, going to the beach and, and having a safe, you know, great free medical. Australia is fantastic. And other people want to, I guess, test themselves. And, and both are both are fantastic. You do have those big spiders there though, right? Oh yeah, spiders, snakes. Um, I think there's some other bat that's going around at the moment. So yeah, there, there's plenty of things to keep, keep you on your toes. Yeah. So I have a snake issue. Um, if a snake ever enters my home, I'm just going to have to burn it down. That's just, <laughs> there's just, there's no other way to fix it. So are there safe places I can go in Australia and avoid the snakes or am I just? Oh yeah. Yeah, it? definitely. Okay. Just, stick, just stick to the cities. Okay. Um, perfect. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I was thinking probably not outside the city with your snake problem might run into some trouble. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't run into them here. Thank goodness, because I'm at almost two miles elevation. So they don't, they don't live here, or at least that is my understanding of the situation. So if they live here in Breckenridge, Colorado, nobody tell me, just don't let me know. Um, but previously I have run into them a fair amount and I'm just, it's not my thing at all. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So stick to, yeah, cities okay. only. Cities Perfect. Only, yeah. Perfect. I can do that. You know, one of the things that I really appreciated that you talked about when making films, whether writing, acting, is that you're not doing it necessarily for yourself, but you're doing it for the people who need that escape from their own life. What gave you that mindset? Because it's kind of like even you said earlier, you know, LA and the mindset is very like be successful and, and think about you and get what you need. So what gave you that, that thought process of really doing it for other people that need that escape? I, well, I, I just love telling stories and I think that's, um, you know, it's important to tell stories that make people feel better about themselves or, you know, make people laugh or have a story that if someone's, let's say they're doing through a very stressful day and they can zone out for an hour and a half, um, then that's a success. Like that's a great thing to have. Um, 
and I think, you know, to answer your question, like, where did that sort of come from to, to have that perspective? I think because, you know, growing up as a kid, um, you know, I did spend summers with my brother just, you know, watching movies, you know, till like three o'clock in the morning because we'd gone on a, like a vacation, we'd go somewhere and there was nothing to do there. <clears throat> and likewise, when you, you know, you travel and you realize once you get out of the city or once you see how people really live, um, you know, people need an escape, like the world's crazy enough as it is. And so just filling that void is, is something really important. And probably the, the, the cap or the, the, the main thing about that too is, I mean, people never think about this, but you know, if you're in a hospital or, you know, you're a sick child or something and you can't go out, mm -hmm. you know, it's really important that you can give someone something to watch or give something to take their mind off whatever it is. And that, I think that's a big part of actually, you know, being more considerate to people rather than being like, it's all about me and assuming that, you know, everyone should care about you. Do you feel like your perspective is unique in where you live now? In Los Angeles and in, in mm -hmm. Australia? Uh, in Los I, Angeles. <clears throat> you know what? I think, uh, I think there's every flavor under the sun in Los Angeles. Uh, and I think there's some really good people here. I really do. And I also think there's people, you know, like anywhere that are still trying to find themselves or people that are um, trying to make up for something that they've lost, um, almost like, you know, substituting the real personality they are. And everyone wants to be famous, you know, sometimes and sometimes people don't. But um, I think probably the mindset I've got without <clears throat> going back to it is I think being from Australia, uh, you do have a mindset over, like you, you have seen something else um, besides, you know, Tinseltown or besides, you know, uh, influences, things like that. Like Australia has, a, in a way, it has a nice um, part of it as well, you know, beaches, um, sport, things like that, which I think is, is really nice to, to fall back on. Do you still get out and surf? I wish I could surf more. I wish <laughs> I could surf more. Yeah, I really miss that. Um, I do get out. Yeah, the problem is with Los Angeles is that if you live kind of like too far out, like Malibu, the PCH mm -hmm. highway gets gridlocked. And if you, you kind of live like Santa Monica, you know, Venice, the surf's not very good. So it's like, do you live further out? And then you're kind of stuck on the PCH for meetings in, you know, Beverly Hills or West Hollywood. Um, it's one or the other, I feel, which makes it tricky. Um, yeah, the water's also colder in America than Australia. So it's, uh, you know, but good waves, good waves. Good, yes, good waves. I would agree. The traffic, not good. Waves, good. Right. So earlier you mentioned that kind of the cultural difference between Australia and the U.S. is that it's more laid back there um, and, you know, you don't have to kind of worry so much about being successful and it sometimes is even looked down upon. How are you able to shift your own personality and kind of your own drive to accommodate where you are now where it, it really is a fight and you want to be that lion and win every award I, th I think it's just the personality like I I'm happiest when I'm busy mm -hmm. um and I I think that knowing your personality type is really important to success because it it can tell you what will make you happy and what you're not and so I, I identified really quickly as a you know growing up if I have nothing to do, but just go surfing every day, I'm at my least effective. If I'm 
basically, you know, doing two or three, you know, entrepreneurship as well as real estate, as well as, you know, directing movies in, in LA, I'm at my happiest. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just knowing that that gets the best out of me. And, you know, everybody's different too. So it's not like you'd say, oh, well, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. So there is part of you that actually enjoys wearing those seven hats all at the same time. I would love it if mm -hmm. <clears throat> I just didn't have to watch myself on the screen. Like, <laughs> if there was like a hat that could be like, you don't, you're either on the screen or off the screen, you know, that would be the better one. You know, does everybody have that? And does it get better for you? And what I mean by that is I hate my voice, but the more I've been podcasting, I, I don't despise it as much. So maybe I've just just relented to having to listen to myself because when I edit and whatnot. So, so maybe it will get better for you. Maybe. Uh, so far, so far, <laughs> no, no much better for me, but I, I like your story better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever I can do to try to make you feel better here for sure. Right. Right. Thank you. So what is next for you other than our secret project that we can't really talk about because we don't want you to get in trouble. But what else do you have in mind for the future? So the the kind of the roadmap for me at the moment is um, a company that I'm a part of, which I founded a couple of, or was one of the founding members of a couple of years ago called Mogul Productions. Um, we have some really exciting stuff coming up. So I'll be at the Futurist Conference, Mogul's a gold sponsor in two weeks. Uh, then I have a couple of Malibu Crush premieres. Um, then TIFF, Toronto Film Festival on the 8th of September. Uh, I am one of the judges at the iHollywood Film Festival on the 6th, and once that's kind of out of the way, um, I'm shooting a new TV pilot um, in front of the camera only, which, um, which is, seems like light, like, yeah, it seems good, which is great because actually I've got some friends of mine that are on that production. Mm -hmm. um, so shooting that's for late September and then moving into um, the, the big directing project at, at the end of the year. So, um, you know, a little bit of mix of everything, which is really exciting. Are you writing anything right now or do you have plans? Yeah, I've, I've, got, a, uh, I've got two scripts at the moment, which I've just finished writing. Um, and unlike the NBC Universal one, I've spent more than 10 days on them. Uh, <laughs> And they're passion projects as well. So, I mean, putting a script together, usually a, a movie together starts with doing the script and then you start to package it out, uh, meaning budget, um, you, know, you know, potentially signing costs with LOIs and then going and getting the money. Um, so, you know, the, the process has been started for, for two of those, um, which would be great, uh, you know, again, continuing to sort of self-improve and self-write. I would love for you to talk to the people right now who are in that space that you were at 21-ish years old, and you had a couple hundred bucks in your pocket and a dream that would have been easy to say, I can't do this. Talk to the people that are in that space right now. What advice would you give them? I wish I could have given myself this advice as well. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's two things that come out quickly is, is one is in order to be successful in any point in your life, you've got to get really good at performing when you're uncomfortable. Like, I think there's that push and pull where people like hypothetically, um, they, they say they'll write a book, but I've got to, you know, renovate my house first or, you know, I'll 
you know, I'll, I'll do professional tennis, but you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to sort out my, my job first or whatever it is. It's like, there's never going to be like a perfect time. So if you're in that space where it hasn't sort of clicked together, you've still got to follow through with what you're trying to do. And I think the best way of kind of articulating that is, is like a um, professional surfer or professional tennis player. Like they're living out of hotel rooms, you know, they're, they're on a plane every, you know, like week or two weeks flying around the world. Like they're jet lagged, there's bags getting missed. And then they've got to play in front of, you know, 15,000 people. If you can only perform when, you know, you've got no jet lag and you've had a first class flight there and everything, then you're, you're kind of like living a little bit of a fantasy land. So I think just accept it, own it and start getting good at performing when it's uncomfortable. And that will come in later in life. Um, and I think the other thing is, is just, you know, uh, the more you complain, the more you're basically like adding data in your brain about all the things that are wrong. It's like whatever you focus on, you know, tends to come to some sort of fruition. So it's if you're always looking at the negatives, then you can only kind of expect more negatives. But if you're finding the good things in your situation, they they tend to piece together more good things. So I think, you know, get good at uh, performing when it's uncomfortable and definitely, yeah, like avoid the negative and just find one good thing because it'll be one, then two, then three, then four, and you'll be on your way. We do occasionally give homework on this podcast. So <laughs> the homework for this week is going to be one positive thing a day. So find that one positive. We both want to know what it is for today and let us know what is that one positive that you're going to start uh, focusing on and then moving into more and more. Yeah. I, I love what you said about kind of just doing it, you know, because when you were telling that story of like, oh, well, I'll do this. But when this happens, I experienced that uh, years ago when I became a police officer because I uh, kept waiting, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm going to graduate college first. Oh, I'm going to do this first. No, nope, I should do this first. And then 9-11 happened. And I was like, what am I waiting on? You know, why, why do I keep right. pushing it? And so I just jumped in. And I think that's fantastic advice that you gave, because it's so easy to sit back and say, no, when this happens or when that happens. And then a year from now, you're going to be in exactly the same space. Right. And you know what I feel like the older you get, you realize there really is no perfect time. Um, because by the time you've done all the tasks that you originally thought there's life, you know, life, there's always a reaction for everything you do. So people then say they're too old or, you know, I, I don't have the money anymore or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, there's no perfect time. I agree. We're going to talk about something that we were discussing earlier. Um, we're going to talk stalkers for a moment, just because we were right. laughing about them earlier. Have you had any good stalkers? Because we were trying to define that and what is a good stalker. So any good stalkers? I'd, I'd love to say I, 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 you know, even like a hint at a good stalker. Um, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I would say the probably the closest thing that I'm getting to stalkers at the moment uh, is, you know, the, the people that add you on all your social channels, like LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, everybody gets them, you know, like people, you know, like, for example, you see in your LinkedIn, it's, it's, you know, I know this person or this person's in an industry like me. Oh, and, mm -hmm. and this person's in Czechoslovakia and is in Bitcoin. <laughs> like, it's like, I, I don't know why you keep mm -hmm. on adding me. 
Um, but uh, yeah, how about you? How are the how would you rate stalkers that you've had? Um, luckily, I just kind of the same as you, I would say the social media weirdos. Um, I do get a lot of sugar daddy offers through <laughs> Instagram um, for care and conversation. So That's way of putting it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what care means, but care and conversation is what they're after. And I do feel like, though, it's what we were saying earlier. The people that are inviting me on this this sugar journey uh, are not the people that you want to be invited on any journey. <laughs> is the most right. unfortunate part. Right, right, right. Your sphere of influence is everything. Yeah, right. In all seriousness, though, have you ever had any situations that were scary or, you know, where you thought like, wow, this person is a little like, this is not okay. I did have one. I mean, it sounds kind of like probably more than it is, but I, I did have one where um, I, I lived in this building, which was like quite a nice building, actually. And I, I got this building for free in Los Angeles because the, the owner was in New York and he's like, it's such a nice place. I can't rent it out. I just needed to like it's looked in. So I had this place for like three months. And so basically to get in, you had to um, you had to buzz in. Then there was a concierge that kind of knew everyone. It was a small building. So it was like you had to at least say hi. Who are you here to see if, if they didn't know you? And then you need to buzz to get up the lift and then you go on to the corridor. And I just remember there was this, uh, this, this girl that I'd gone on one date with from a dating app. And I told her I lived in the building, but I'd never like showed her where or whatever. And then one, um, I remember one evening I get this like knock on the door at like three in the morning. And I'm kind of like, this is really weird. Like it must be the owner, like, you know, who, who could come up here or whatever. And I don't know, like somehow she'd managed to get all the way up um, without the buzz, the buzz in the door, past the concierge, and I, and then she's knocking on the door, and she did like three times, like meaning I'm kind of like being polite, like you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know whether that was just a really good locksmith or <laughs> whether she was, but yeah, it was weird because yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't dating her, I didn't want to see her and. She just kept finding a way to try and talk to me face to face. So ladies, don't do that. Don't just show up. Don't yeah. just show or, up. Or let me know. I should have asked, how did you get past security every time? Because you kind of didn't answer the question when I asked you how you did that when I asked her. Yeah, so. I mean, that's really what I want to know, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> we are going to take a quick turn here before I let you go. And we're going to talk about tattoos as you still say um that is where your australian does come out a little bit you don't have any tattoos is there uh, no reason, tattoos. is there a reason why there's no tattoos you know what just probably never kind of got to the point where i was like this is this jumps out of me or, or i'd love to have this as a tattoo um i i you know i can't really answer i guess yeah, I either haven't found the right tattoo or just it hasn't kind of like, you know, struck me at the right time. Okay, so let's say you have to get one and I'm going to take out all the traditional barriers. So it's not going to hurt. It's not going to cost you any money. And then you can snap your fingers and make it disappear whenever you want. So what would you get and where would you put it? 
I would probably get, um, I'd probably, I wouldn't get something huge. Like I wouldn't get like a sleeve or like, you wouldn't, you, know, you wouldn't do, you wouldn't do I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but I, I think I'd probably try and do something that was like close to home. So maybe, you know, like initials of, you know, people I've lost or, uh, or like, you know, motivation, you know, something mm -hmm. that's like a motivation without it being like, you know, put your rubbish in the bin, like, <laughs> not like that, but more just like, you know, the initials like TDC or something. Um, and I, you know what, if I get a tattoo, I'd want to get it where you can see it. Mm -hmm. Like, I do remember I dated this girl and she kept telling me she's got tattoos. She's got tattoos. And I was like, I could never see them. And then she had them one on each ankle and they were literally like a letter this big. And I kind of thought if I'm going to get tattoos, mm -hmm. then let's get one that actually people can see, not when you take your shoes and socks off, <laughs> you can sort of see it. I agree. And I like that. So that's, do you think there's a chance? Maybe one day. I would say if you'd asked me that like five years ago, it was probably like maybe 50, 50. Mm -hmm. I'd say at this point, it's probably like a 60, 70, you know, at the okay. right time. Yeah. Right yeah. on, right on. I, I have good artists, so I can definitely, when you're ready, I can send you to the right place for sure. Well, I tell you what, the, the irony of the thing is, cause we were talking about the, the tattoo, the Bondi Inc TV mm -hmm. show. So where I'm I'm from in Bondi Beach, like I would pass that place like maybe like four or five times a week if I mm -hmm. if I walked down. Um and it's huge. Yeah, it's it's a really professional spot. So um that wasn't enough, even though I walked past it to kind right. of get me to get a tattoo. So maybe being in Los Angeles, um, you know, maybe maybe something changes. Well, it's never too late. It is never right. too late. James, where can people find you? So if they want to check out Malibu Crush, if they want you to auction off a really prestigious piece of property, or if they want to be a good stalker, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, probably the best thing is for real estate, um, well, for film, uh, the, the, the company I mentioned, mogulproductions.com, uh, the Malibu Crush comes out next month on all, all platforms worldwide um otherwise you can have a look on imdb and if you just want to say hi um you know social media probably probably instagram or linkedin uh james underscore pratt seven but if you're from czechoslovakia do not hit <laughs> him up on linkedin okay so yeah he repeatedly <laughs> hit me up on linkedin uh asking about bitcoin exchanges you know probably change the angle yeah yeah that's a no James, right. you have been amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me on the show as well. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with James as much as I did. I truly appreciate the advice he gave of letting the excuses go and just jumping in to what your heart desires. And I also love his advice of looking for the positives and you will start to see them grow. So remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.